I'm a tenor, yeah. 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 <laughs> Shimona. Nice. <laughs> Have you seen Leaving Sh- Neverland? You'll never see it. Oh, wow. Yeah, Johnny Depp. Yeah. No. That's Oh, fine. that's fine. Neverland. These are two very different. Very no. different. So. <laughs> All right. You haven't seen. No, I have not seen. Although I do have right. HBO right now, so you should I, watch it. I could watch Finding Never. Yeah, <laughs> shower is requisite mm. after watching. Yes. Yeah, that seems right. But then, it's like intense. I really feel like I won't and be able to. I won't be able to enjoy Michael Jackson. That's what I'm saying. When you said Shamal, I was like, I can't do. I, yeah, I'm not on board. Get the beat down, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I texted my friend Amber and I was like, Billie Jean. He married one of them. They had a ceremony. Oh, God. Yeah. If you're, you're, ruining, you're ruining my I'm ruining it because you need it to be ruined. Because oh. it turns out, I mean, like, I'm not that surprised, but yeah. turns out there was a little more support than mm. accusations. If you believe these guys, there's yeah. two of them. And their stories are fairly Welcome to Marginally Significant, the uh, podcast in which we destroy all your perceptions about Michael Jackson. Okay, welcome to Marginally Significant, where I am hosting a taken over for Andrew Smith, who is not with us today. Uh, he's with us in spirit, <laughs> not in yeah. or voice. I am Twyla Lindgrove, and with me is Andrew Monroe. Hello. And Chris Holden. Hey. And our goal for today is to discuss mentoring strategies. So as you all know, we are in a master's level institution. And uh, and so we want to sort of think about it. I think a few different layers of mentoring. Like an onion. Like an onion, exactly. Is it blooming? Oh. (laughs) You know, I've never had a blooming onion. Oh, man, we got to change that. Yeah, I I feel like I've really missed out on life. I've never been to an Outback Steakhouse. Oh, yeah, we can change that. <laughs> um, yes, we can get you a blooming onion if you'd like. The blooming. <laughs> I'm going to get us back on track. So we're going to talk about our mentoring philosophies. What are the strategies we use to help our students achieve their professional goals? Right. Whether they be, as we discussed in the previous episode, whether they be academic, PhD, or um, or professional. So going straight into the job market with their masters. And in addition, we um, will also be discussing sort of, I guess, sort of micro strategies, yeah. not just our broader philosophy, but with specific situations that have come up. What, how have we dealt with those situations? So, does anyone can anyone articulate their mentoring philosophy? Let's start broad and get narrower. Yeah, I, I feel like the broad question is really hard to answer because I, I, I feel like. Uh, my, my strategy changes a lot depending on the student. Um, and, and I think like one particular challenge that is unique to, to our programs is that we have them for so little time, that, that we have them for, mm-hmm. for two years. And so to some extent, my, my mentoring strategy is really focused on how do I how do I develop my students relatively quickly and and get them to a place where they can finish their thesis, finish what they need to to finish, um, and then either apply for jobs or PhD programs or or whatever the next step is. But um, I mean, I guess I would say like my general, my general theory of mentoring is 
I, I, I break it out by semester. So I would say like my the, the first semester that students come in, I want to do very little structuring, but offer a lot of contact. Right. So what I try to do with my students is we meet every week. Um, we may or may not have an agenda for that particular meeting, but we are, the, the goal is to sort of, to come up with an idea uh, over that semester. And so we're just doing a lot of reading. We're doing a lot of spitballing of ideas, mm-hmm. um, but just a lot, a lot of contact. And then I sort of start to reduce my level of contact with my students as they become more more senior. Right. Uh, so I think I guess I mean <laughs> the revealed theory of my mentoring I guess is that I want to give a lot of structure, a lot of contact at, at the very very beginning, and then like slowly remove that structure for them and sort of allow them to become scientists in their own right, um, realizing that this is only two years uh, and they're still going to have a lot of growing to do. Yeah, I think I'm in a similar boat uh, in terms of making it student-driven and student-focused. I've only had, at this point, two students, so (laughs) there's not much variability around that. But um, yeah, I I do want to make it tailored to each student uh, and... I want them to have the space to explore the ideas that they want to explore. Uh, so I'm not necessarily someone that comes in and says, uh, this is a project I'm working on. You need to get involved with this in this way because this is what I need to get done. Um, there might be times where there's existing projects that I bring them on, but it's always to give them a unique experience and some opportunity. Uh, so with things like a thesis or even like their first data collection project, it's really their idea that's in the forefront and their idea that we're, we're centering on. So I'm really glad that you brought up that idea of allowing it to be student driven and sort of allowing students to have space to like come up with right. their own ideas. Um, because that's, that's where I started. And so my theory now has become like much more constrained. And I'm, I'm curious what both of you think about. So how much leeway do you think is, good to provide for for students with um, letting them decide on their own thesis direction. So I, I my original theory was like to provide like a pretty broad like laissez-faire, what do you find interesting as long as there's a sufficient amount of overlap between your and my interests, like that's great. And my current theory is to be actually like a bit more constrained about this is what the lab does mm-hmm. and these are the projects we have going on. And I'm not sure if I would say like, Chris, to your point, like, okay, this is the project that you're working on. I don't know that I would go like quite that hard, right. but but I'm curious what you think of like how, how much or how little do you constrain your students to like particular projects or particular lab goals? Yeah, I've often thought about this because I think – um, so you were, Andrew, mentioning earlier that you're pretty structured at first, and then you sort of relax the management mm-hmm. <laughs> as they mature. And I think this overlaps with your question in the sense that I um, I have a lot of contact time with my students, but I'm not very structured. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I wonder if that's a disservice. I think there are certain students that are really, um, really great at managing their own time. Right. And they have an idea that they've generated fairly quickly. And so for them, the, the fact that I'm not very structured works well for them. Because right. then they can take ownership of the project and move it forward. But I think that there are sometimes students who maybe need a little more structure yeah. uh, and, and would benefit from being given some, at least some boundaries in terms of it should be in this general area. 
Um, and I don't know if I've succeeded as well with those students. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've all graduated. <laughs> hey, that yeah. counts. Counts. That, that's a success. Okay, uh, But, I mean, I wonder, like, zooming out a little bit, what... Um, so you said like your relatives like more unstructured with some of the these students like what what are our goals like what do we want to accomplish what does good mentoring look like for a master's level program yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great question and um, my I asked that question because I, I don't have an answer to it yeah. Yeah. I always I think my value system has made me lean towards I want them to develop into good scientists, right. not just get a project done. Yeah. And because of that, because I want them to develop the sort of independent thought that's associated with sound scientific practice, I tend to um, give them more time to think. Right. And instead of giving the answer, I say, okay, well, so they, they send me a draft and I say, well, what about this? Instead of, you're thinking about this wrong. <laughs> right. And so I think that slows them down because some students will take maybe four drafts before they realize right. what I'm sort of circling around and other students will do it in one draft. And I don't, I don't know if that's what all of us want to achieve with our students. That's yeah. what I tend to want to um, model. Yeah. No, I mean, I, so I had, I had almost the opposite uh, experience as a, as a grad student. So like I would write something and my, my PhD mentor would do uh, a mix of sort of uh, asking questions along the lines that, that you prescribe, uh, that, that you laid out uh, as well as just like rewriting passages and, and how I learned to write was in part of sort of, Oh, okay. I get what you changed here. And so I worry a little bit. So my tactic with with my students is, it sounds like your tactic is, uh, Twyla, a little bit more of like asking questions and asking students to be self-reflective. And to some extent, I worry that mine is uh, doing a lot of like rewriting for them because I want them to learn by sort of like looking at the writing. But right. my worry is like they just click accept changes yes. and then like move on. Yes. Yeah. And I, as program director, I have had a couple students come to me and ask me for advice about um, thesis writing. Oh. And so they'll say things like, well, I'm worried that this is no longer in my own words <laughs> because my mentor wants me to say it this way or they spend a lot of time or effort rewriting the right. things that I've written. Do you then tell them that their words aren't very good? <laughs> they need better words. I do not. I rephrase it as a question. <laughs> well, that's, are your words good? <laughs> that's that's so <laughs> diplomatic. <laughs> So one thing I've noticed, and this happened organically, not to toot my own horn, but I realized I was doing it after I had been doing it for a while. Uh, and it kind of goes back to that idea, do you rewrite or do you just comment on it? Uh, there were times where I was trying to convey something and I'd write it in the track changes comment and I couldn't convey it there. So I started writing it and I got to a point where like there was enough of a lead that they could follow and I would make sure that I explained in my comment why I wrote it the way that I did. Mm-hmm. And I think that works. That's a lot of work in some cases. Um, but I found that to be a nice middle ground because they're seeing my rationale. And if they're really just stuck, like they don't know how to describe this or uh, grammatically it's off a little bit, you can tighten it up, but still give them enough room to run with it and really fully express it. Um, I don't always do that. Usually my default is to comment and say, like, think about this. 
think about writing it in this way. Here's what you're really trying to convey in this section. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, when it gets to the point where I'm getting that bug to like just start writing, I'll take a step back and, and take that approach. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder, uh, <clears throat> so when I think about like, um, as a PhD student, like you want to like develop your own voice, especially like in your later right. years. But when I think about my master's students, I'm less worried about them developing their own voice at this point because I've looked back at my own master's writing yeah. and it was shit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, and so like what I want my master's students, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm more constraining, I, I guess it sounds gotcha. like from, from both of you that I'm like, no, this is the way that and like, I'm doing my like air typing yeah, right yeah. now, which is perfect for a podcast format. <laughs> uh, like, no, this is the way that I think you want to write that out because I want to teach them sort of good writing techniques. But that's an interesting question. Like whether or not that is a good long-term tactic. I think if it's all in track changes, you can see it, right? And you can always make the point-by-point comparisons. Mm-hmm. And my, my advisor did something similar. Like, he would rewrite stuff, uh, and I would always sit down and look at it, right? So, it requires you to look at yeah. it and make yeah. that point-by-point. Yeah, it, it, is, it assumes that the student will be thoughtful and not just go, okay, great, accept right. change, and, like, move on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think for some things, you're just going to have to write it. Like you're just going to have to put it out there. Uh, and I think maybe I don't believe in learning styles, but maybe some people prefer that, you know, uh, some people think that, you know, if they can see it, then they can model it and really build it. Yeah. And if that works, I think it's great. Like go for it. Yeah. So. And I think it is a question partially of short term versus long term goals. <laughs> For the mentor and the student. So oftentimes, at least my observation is that the students will shift. So so they're much more um, lofty in their goals when they first get here. And then by the middle of their second year, their goal is to graduate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A narrowing of their goals. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A shorter sight. Um, And then for the mentor, I think that also, I think our time perspective. Their goal is also to graduate. (laughs) (laughs) Just just want you to graduate. Yeah. Yeah. And so. I tend to be more long-term focused, but I don't know if that's necessarily the best strategy um, because I think that I'm maybe not giving enough um, information to those, some students who might need it. Like by being, so if I repeat the question, have you thought about this four times and they're not getting it, at some point I need to be able to just tell them the answer. Right. <laughs> and I always end up waiting, like how soon should I be just saying, you don't get this, right. this is, you should think about it this way. And that's a struggle that I have. At what point in the mentoring process do I say, do I step in and intervene and mm-hmm. say, this is the thing you should understand? Yeah. No, I feel like my threshold for that is is relatively low. <laughs> uh, and again, like, I'm not sure if that's a... A correct theory, but but I, I yeah, it seems that my threshold for that is relatively low. And I think mine might be too high. I think I might be almost too patient in the yeah. sense, or too passive in the sense that I'll give them all the time in the world, and then it's their second year and spring semester. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they still are struggling. So yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want my students feeling like I guess constrained would be the only way to yeah. describe it. Like I want them to feel like they're writing this formulaic thing, but at the same time, I think you can give them too much room, and then you start getting to that year two deadline, and you're like. What's what's happening? 
um, what's going on. We got to get this done. You, you need to make your next step, whatever that next step mm-hmm. is going to be. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if we can make any blanket statements about this because I feel like it's going to be so person by person. No, I think the right answer is that you want to constrain your students as much as possible, regardless of their preferences, and uh, you make them into many copies of you. I think that, <laughs> that is the only possible correct answer yeah. to this, obviously. Just churn out clones. Just churn out yeah. clones, exactly. I'm, I'm not having children, and so instead what I have are your students. Yeah, I have intellectual clones. Yeah, it works. Yeah. So do you feel like you need to read every single article they've read in their thesis? Ooh. No. I, I don't. Uh, I, don't, I don't either. I think for me, some of that's carried by the fact that they're often citing things from my dissertation reading list. Um, because, I mean, I don't constrain them so much, but I, I do try and center it on things that I'm, I'm comfortable and familiar with. Uh, so I, there are a few where I wind up reading it. But, um, yeah, I haven't ever felt a need to go through article by article. Um, I will occasionally pull it up as I'm reading it, but that's not very constant for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, absolutely not. Although I do think uh, like one one really interesting aspect of allowing students um, a broader range of topics to to focus on for their thesis is that like it can stretch you uh, and it can pull you in directions that you might have been sort of casually interested in, right. and then you discover through sort of editing their work and, and reading their, their theses that, oh, actually, this is something that's really interesting to you. So I do think of students and their theses as a sort of opportunity to, to stretch my own interests. But you don't necessarily read their, their references list. Not, necess- not unless I find them to be interesting, no. So here's a question. Do you have them do like a annotated bibliography or a summary of any sort before you have them write the draft of their introduction? I'm starting to feel like a bad advisor. Because <laughs> <laughs> all the things you're not doing. Yeah, also, also no. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I mean, I, and I'll be honest, like that is bound by like, I don't want to read that, um, right. that I, I want them to be able to put together, um, at least like an outline of an introduction mm-hmm. like that I, I will provide feedback for, but, but I think like, that's me like trying to guard my time a little bit and thinking right. about like balancing advising with my own research goals. I yeah. do have them do an annotated bibliography. I'm the worst advisor ever. I'm so sorry. All of my students. Just just the worst. Yeah, they, they know about this now. Yeah. After that tweet. Yeah. Uh, hold on. So next we're going to talk about mental health. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have them do... And this, I didn't do it. I just started maybe two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, so I didn't always require an annotated bibliography. What, what is the virtue of an annotated bibliography to your, to your mind? Um, so it, it's primarily used in the first semester mm-hmm. and they're in the idea development stage. And I want to make sure that they are reading three-ish articles every week before right. the meeting. So the annotated bibliography is evidence of that. And I skim it before that and I make sure that they know that I'm not thoroughly reading it. But I also frame it as a conversation about the research. And so I will read their summaries, which I tell them can be informal and that I'm not grading it anyway. Um, bullet points, whatever they feel comfortable with. Sometimes I'll copy and paste some tables in there. And um, and then I use that as a, oh, oh, I'm a comment. Oh, this is interesting. I wonder about this. And so it's a way to start the conversation that we 
end up having in our weekly meeting. I do something kind of like an annotated bibliography. It's like in between that and an outline. Uh, and for me, the virtue is framing everything and really thinking about how these pieces come together. Uh, so often it's thinking about how do these different personality traits come together to predict whatever outcome of interest is at hand. Um, and I think by taking that step of going through the outline, reading these different articles, summarizing them, kind of taking the key points, you can really plug those things in. Um, I don't know if that works for everybody. I might be imposing my own ideas on that, but um, I think it does really help. And it is kind of like an evolving conversation, to borrow Twilo's term. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, I think ultimately what it does is kind of the same thing that uh, a pre-registration, when you're, you're thinking about these things coming together before you actually hit the ground running. Um, you can do the same thing in an introduction, so I don't mm -hmm. think you have to have that outline. But if it's something that gives you that added step of really thinking through what these moving pieces are, that's ultimately what I find. Okay. I feel a little less bad now yeah. having both of you describe. So, so I guess I do a not as good of a version of this, but that's what the weekly meetings are for, that we talk about a paper, right. we talk about sort of what it means, we talk about how it relates to ideas. Do you read the paper? I do read the paper. Yeah. So in that case, like we actually go through a paper that's sort of relevant to the ideas that we're talking about. But but I like this idea of actually an annotated bibliography as a a structuring document for their thinking. Uh, yeah. I think that that's a nice model. I haven't used that before. Uh, yeah. And for me, I think I am also voting my time, but I find it easier to read the annotated bibliography than to find an article and read it with them and, and have that conversation. I think I get I'd so make them read it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I get so caught up in their writing because I I get bogged down in the weeds of like this is not great yeah. writing. Right. So so for me, like an annotated bib is yeah. harder because the writing that accompanies it is, is not good but but I like uh, like we're, we're sort of like down in the weeds of, of mentoring I wonder like if we can broaden out a little bit or if Twilight like you have questions that are like broader about mentoring uh, sorry I like, totally I just know. put you on the spot yeah. uh, as the host like yeah sorry so. well you gave a nod to mental health earlier so one of the questions that I have is about um, how attentive, I guess, you are in terms of self-care and your students' adjustment during their first year, their well-being, their stress level. Do you guys talk about that? I, I haven't directly. So there's never been a time where I've said, like, how are you feeling about the first year? How are you feeling about where you stand? Um, but I usually do open meetings with, like, how are things going? How are you feeling about things in, in general. And I think often the student assumes that maybe I'm asking directly about like the thesis. So they'll often, they'll often get into that. So maybe I could do more to really bring that in. Um, but yeah, I've never really asked about it directly. Are you, have you not asked because you don't want to know? <laughs> like you don't want that to be part of your relationship? No, I, you just don't think to ask. It's more, I don't think to ask. And it might be a personality issue for me. Like I, and I, I'm trying to think about like what it was like for me in graduate school as well. And I think now a couple years out, I realized like I probably could have done more to make myself aware of my mental health. Uh, but I just kind of pushed it aside. And I think I'm adopting that approach of just like pushing it aside. Um, and that's probably bad. Um, but often what I'm focused on is like getting down to what's at hand. Maybe that not be, might not be the best thing. I think 
that can become a culture of, you know, just focusing on the task as opposed to the person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I also, in other, I guess, less formal ways, try to show that I'm open to building rapport and a connection with my student. Um, I don't want it to be just like, you give me a draft of a paper and I give you comments back or something like that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not doing anything explicitly. Uh, and I think it's just, it, it's something about how I think about myself and think about my own relations that's coloring how I'm interacting with my students, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something I really war with this because on the one hand, I, I feel like sort of keeping, keeping certain things at an arm's length is, mm-hmm. is adaptive because you, you have to, you're not your students' friends, and I, and I think that that right. like that to me, to, to like my personal point of view, that is an error to like be your students' friends because you need to be their mentor. You're going to have to provide critical feedback for them, and it's like you're not their buddy. Uh, and so I war with that sort of like you need to keep people at a distance because you need to provide good mentorship for them, but at the same time being aware of their of their mental health. Um, of what they might be struggling with um, and and being making it clear that you are are available to them that they that you are a person that they can talk to um, and so I haven't quite resolved what the right pathways um, a couple of my former students have joked uh, that like yeah we can definitely like, like if we ever like came to Monroe with like a particular problem like he would probably like you know, gently tap us on the shoulder and say like, (laughs) they're there because he doesn't know how to like emote. Uh, And so I think like in the past I have, I I think that I've been like a little bit too distant. Um, But I think that there is a place for, for advisors um, being emotionally supportive. Like certainly it was the case that like I benefited a ton from my advisor giving me essentially giving me space to like not be a very very good student initially and that he was he was really patient with me um so like i guess like full disclosure my very first semester my my very first year of my phd um i i went through i guess what we would call a a negative personal experience like i um i had a significant relationship break up um i I had like some problems with alcohol and, and my, my advisor really provided a space where I could not like, we didn't talk about that. Like we never talked about like what was going on in my personal life, but he provided enough space that I could sort of mess up and then get better. Um, and, and he was really, really patient with me. So I guess the, the way that I think about this is trying to be sensitive about my, my students, maybe not, Maybe I'm not doing a good enough job about this, but allowing them to fail in some cases, providing some feedback, and then allowing them to get better. Yeah, I would echo a lot of that. And I might be walking back on what I said before, but uh, when it does come up for me, I'm, I'm totally supportive. And it, it, they don't even have to say what's going on to me. Like if they say like, hey, I've had a lot going on and I couldn't get to this, I do give them that space. Uh, and much... Like your advisor, my advisor for my PhD program was like that. He was pretty patient. Uh, he was patient with all of us. And I think it, he was very good at adapting to each student. And there were very different personalities in our lab, which was interesting because we did a lot with personality. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so when it 
when it does come to the surface, I'm totally on board with helping them in whatever way that I can. Um, but part of me also worries, like, is that is it only coming to the surface when it bubbles over? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if there's anything that I can do. And I really like your point about, you know, we should keep things at arm's length. We're not their friends. Like, we should be collegial and happy to hang out with them. And, you know, when my first student graduated, I went and had beers with them. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those sorts of things, are, I think, are totally fine. But um, I, I don't know of a good strategy for finding that middle ground where you maybe you're, you're catching things before they do bubble over. Right. Um, but not getting too friendly. Yeah. I can't help but feel like this is a gendered conversation. I'm sure it <laughs> so is. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to ask yeah. about gender dynamics. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you're saying... Both of you are saying that you, when you recognize that there is a problem, that you are happy and willing, and I don't doubt it, to give students their space to sort of catch up or regroup right. or whatever. Um, but I wonder if giving space is actually just distancing or avoiding. Right. So it's like, I don't, I'm sorry that you feel bad right now. I don't want to deal with it, but yeah. I but yeah. I sympathize. <laughs> yeah. So you're giving them space. Yeah, right. And then if you add in that maybe that's a female student, I wonder if they because the way I would perceive it is not that you're giving me space, but that you're trying to avoid. Like you don't want to deal with the mm-hmm. yeah. feelings. And so I guess I wonder what your reactions are to that. I think that's a fair critique. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I will say like, this is an area that I, I feel like I have not yet figured out. Um, how to make it clear that if if someone wants to talk, like they can always talk to me. And again, like this comes back to like, my students make the joke like, yeah, Monroe doesn't know how to like deal with like these feelings. And like, you know, it's a joke, but at the same time, it probably reflects something marginally true that I don't know how to like deal with these feelings other than like sharp tap on the shoulder. Uh, I am very sorry that you are feeling feelings and I wish that your feelings would improve for you. And let me know when your feelings are done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that is, that, that isn't helpful. That, 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 that really isn't, but at the same time, yeah, I think this is just like a personal limitation of mine that I I don't like being touchy feely is like just not. I mean, is, is that is that the answer? Like, should we be more touchy feely? Not not literally touchy, more feely. Yeah, do that. To, to be clear, like we don't need to. Like we should, we all not go like the old Joe Biden. Uh, oh boy, sorry, sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. Uh, but but like, should we be like more emotional with our students, or or would like would a better solution be? to share with our students like some of our own mental health struggles like is is that an answer i don't know i i think i struggle with this too so it's not like i have the answer no we assumed that you did (laughs) (laughs) because i have the feeling yeah because you have the feeling as the the female as the female in the podcast we assumed that yeah yeah um i do it sounds like i think i'm a little more direct in asking students how they're doing just based on what you said here Mm -hmm. so um, i do especially in the first semester 
to, like, like at the start of meetings every once in a while, right. I'll say, how are classes going? How do you feel about graduate school? How, like, I have this set of questions that are designed wow. okay. to give them a chance to emote oh, if they yeah. so choose. Yeah. Um, and I will say, like, I like there's usually a part of me that's hoping they won't emote. Like, I'm being honest. I want it to be more task-oriented. But I also... I am good. I am doing the work. <laughs> right. One oh one 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 zero. Yeah. Yeah. But I do I mean I know that if they are not adjusting well that they're that, that first semester especially, we need to have conversations about that. We need to know what's going on right. in order for them to be successful. And so I do try to give them explicit opportunities. Um, I don't necessarily say, like, have you cried this week? Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling right now? <laughs> yeah, on a scale of one to ten. How, How many ounces of tears? Have you measured? Yeah, yeah. In in ounces, how many? Uh, how, how how much tear production have you? Yeah, I don't do that, and I don't regularly share my own personal experiences in graduate school or with mental health issues. I think there have been occasions where it's come up, mm-hmm. yeah. but it's not a regular thing for me to be like, well, let me tell you about. Right. I mean, there is one thing. So like when, so this isn't about like my uh, master's students, but like um, in mentoring my undergraduate students, not, I, I generally don't share specifics, but, but some of my most brilliant, most talented students are also my students who are just absolutely racked with anxiety, who are racked yeah. with depression. And I, in that context, I feel like it is helpful for them to hear like, look, I deal with anxiety too. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, you see me get up and talk in front of a class like really easily and it looks effortless. And like, that's just because I've practiced this a whole, whole lot. Right. Um, it used to be the case that I couldn't eat for the entire day if I had to give a talk. Like, yeah. anxiety is something that eats at, at me as well. And, and so like there, I feel like for undergrads, it's maybe helpful to at least like share the generalities, probably right. not the specifics, but the generalities, um, to let them know that like, it is okay that they are dealing with these types of feelings. Right. Yeah. I like that idea of sharing the generalities as opposed to the specifics, uh, because I think it, it tackles something that it might be underlying this or it might be associated I'm talking about imposter syndrome. So I think that if you share in general that, yes, I feel anxious or, like, oh, I have a deadline coming up and I haven't started on anything and I'm worried about it. Like, I think that can be a good way into saying like, hey, everybody's feeling this. And it takes down that wall of like you being this like super structured, super professional. Uh, and I think if you're doing that, it takes away the stigma of a grad student saying, hey, I'm going through a lot right now uh, because they, they don't want I could see that being portrayed in a way that it's like against what a grad student is supposed to do, or it's like a sign that they're not a good grad student. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people would keep that in. And I I remember having similar feelings like, Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't let onto this because it makes it seem like I'm not cut out for this. Yeah. You just soldier on. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So if you can show that even those folks that are at advanced career stages are feeling those same things, I think it helps. Yeah. I I mean, and I do think that, Again, I think sharing the generalities, like talking about, right. yeah, we we all suffer from imposter syndrome. 
We, I mean, many of us have like deep anxiety that we become deeply upset about like whether or not our work has meaning, like our place in the world. Sharing those types of, of feelings with undergrads, letting them know, like, yeah, I mean, you perceive me as successful. I appreciate that. But right. even like successful people on your definition, like we still struggle with the same types of things that you struggle with. It's, it's okay that yeah. you're struggling with those things. Um, I feel like that's an important signal to, to convey to students. And I guess here I'm thinking more, more of my undergraduate students than my master's students. So maybe I'm just more empathetic for my undergrads than I am for my grad students. <laughs> There's an interaction there. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm more protective of my undergrads than I am for my graduate students. Yeah. Sorry, grad students. <laughs> I struggle with, in particular, figuring out where the line is between mm. um, giving students some freedom to regroup, to, to, to engage in self-care, and then eventually becoming concerned that things are not happening. Mm, right. So I wonder if you guys have thoughts about that. I don't know. We're such bad interests. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, no, sorry, sorry, Chris. No, it was just random utterings. Yeah. I, I'm still processing. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I am. I think I, I really, I think the error that I make is is more in terms of I expect the work to be done. Um, and unless, in, in cases where students are like, yeah. I, so if a student came to me and said, um, I have X, Y, and Z. So this actually happened this this last week where a student was supposed to be practicing, uh, supposed to be giving their practice talk for their first year project. And they said, look, my personal life is such that like, I'm not going to be ready by X date. I need to be ready by Y date. And I'm like, absolutely. Let's do it by Y date instead because you're going to be more prepared. That's going to be a better meeting for you. That That's just going to be better. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with making those allowances, but I think my, I, I'm, I guess, fairly demanding of, of my students that I expect the work to be done. And you can tell me that like, it's not going to be, and here are the reasons, but I expect my students to like, I guess, bring me those reasons. But then what teams do you have if it's a graduate student, mm -hmm. it's a thesis and not coursework? You say you're demanding, but what are the consequences? My my, my my disapproval, my scowling face. Uh, maybe I'll even scorn, but I mean, yeah, I guess I'm depending on their, their internal like guilt to motivate them. Um, I, beyond that, I guess I, I don't have any 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 big guns, but um, I mean, I, I will say that for students who are not terribly active, like my interest in the project tends to go down, and then if my interest in the project goes down, I am. If I have five things in my to-do list and that's one of them, it tends to be the last one. So then I tend to be slower and... I mean, that's just like a cascading level of bad. So maybe, maybe again, maybe I'm just a really terrible advisor. So people listening to this podcast should know if, like, if you're thinking about applying to <laughs> yeah, like, no, if I If I become unhappy, I become a worse advisor. Check, yeah. Check out yeah. entirely. I think uh, to some extent I do that too. Like if I know that a student is not investing in a project, no matter what the reason, whether it be a mental health issue, whether it be anxiety, or, or just disinterest, mm -hmm. yeah. um, lack of motivation, at some point those become treated equally. And, right. and so that's what I often think about when you have students, especially when I have students who are really behind, not just a 
couple weeks, like they missed a deadline, but really behind in their thesis. I have to think about how do I treat this issue and and have I done enough to support them if it is a mental health issue or do I just let them sort of suffer the consequences? Yeah. And that's when I struggle the most is for those students. Yeah. So, I mean, I should say, so I've always had like a theory that like one can separate out their personal and their professional life. I mean, it turns out that like that theory is not true. Um, but, but like for, for a very long time, I thought, okay, like the people that I work with, I might really like you like professionally, but I could disagree with you personally, but I can like separate out those right. feelings. Um, and, and like I've discovered like, no, no, the personal impinges, uh, on, on the, right. on the professional, like the two things over, overlap with one another um so if your professional life is or sorry if your personal life is going to pot it affects your your personal life in that case but then like i mean to 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 like bring back like, what are what are the teeth that you have there right. yeah right i think all i don't have any teeth but i have enormous guilt <laughs> Yeah. Our, I just our want student, to manage my guilt. I, I just want to buy something yeah. managing my guilt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's interesting that we kind of keep going back to guilt because I think this profession requires like a small dose of that. Like I think small dose, maybe a large dose, yeah. but. You know, Andrew, you mentioned this, like some of your brightest students are the ones that are very anxious and are maybe dealing with things like depression and other Mm -hmm. issues. Um, And I think I'm really hesitant to say this, but I think like there is some selection towards that. I don't know if it's systemic. I don't know if it's actually like helpful to have that, but it's it's there. Um, So I don't know if that like is coloring how we make these decisions about when do we have teeth and when do we not. Um, for me, I think it might because it's like, well, yeah, maybe you should like have a little bit of like you stress about this as opposed to distress. I don't know when it tips the scale. I'm mm-hmm. not familiar with that literature, but I think some of it can be motivating, but we don't want it to become like the only way that you can succeed in grad school is if you're totally guilty and anxious all the time. And I know like I, I felt that a lot in grad school. Um, and I know, like, I've, I've heard people talk about it and, you know, you, you see it on social media too. Like there's people that are, you know, discussing these things pretty openly about their grad school experience. So it's, it's tough, but it's like, it's almost like there's, there's something to having a little bit of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm okay with a little, a little bit of guilt, like right. to, to be clear, uh, because so one, one thing that I think a lot about, and then I have like actually a little printout above my, my desk at home, a version of this saying is that, so we as academics have more freedom than most people in their work. Like we study what we find interesting. We work when we like choose to work within certain yeah, parameters, more, yeah. more, more or less. Like we can, but basically we get to, we get to pursue ideas. We get to pursue questions that we find interesting. Most people don't get that freedom in right. their professional lives. And so for me, what comes with that is a responsibility that like I have the freedom to do whatever it is that I find interesting in general with like some caveats. And so like with that, like comes a responsibility to like work really hard mm-hmm. on, on that type of thing. So I feel like a little bit of guilt that comes with like, if I'm not working, then I'm sort of (laughs) betraying the privilege that I have as a function of the job that I have. Uh, Because I mean, I think, I think like we as academics should be honest that 
we have like we work really hard and we work you know no academic works a 40 hour week uh but we have uh, to be clear, we work a lot more than 40 hours. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but we have a lot of freedom about when we work, what we work right. on. And so like when I'm not working up to par, I feel some guilt. And so like with that, when I think about my advising, when my students aren't working up to par, I feel like they should feel some guilt because they have a version of that freedom too. They get right. to pursue questions that they find interesting. And so I I, I do want to imbue that idea of you have a responsibility to work hard because right. you get to work free. Right. Freedom isn't free, man. It costs a buck twenty-five. <laughs> Didn't expect that to come. <laughs> yeah. Freedom costs a buck twenty-five. I do. When I'm reading the, the Twitter threads, well, I have flashbacks to grad school, first of all, whenever you oh, yeah. So I can relate to a lot of what's being said. But I also, and maybe I'm in the minority here, it feels that way when I'm reading the threads, but I I often feel a sense of gratitude yeah. for the job that oh, I have. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it's... Maybe it's just that we have a great work environment. Here. Comprehensive university is the best. Let's be clear. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, but I often feel a sense of gratitude that I get to work the hours within certain restrictions. The hours right. that I want to work, I can schedule a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Take my dog to the vet and then get in a car accident. And get bad news. Yeah. <laughs> and get bad news. The triple whammy. Right. It's a great day. Um, and. Um, um, and summers, I get to do what I want to do. We don't do anything over the summers. I mean, I think that's exactly. It, what yeah, I, I, I think I think uh, I travel the world. Right there, you go. Yeah. Somewhere, and I'm fine with it. Jumping all over the world. <laughs> I jump all over the world, and uh, I write papers when I feel like it, honestly. And so it's sometimes it's hard for me because I see these threads and I relate to them. But I think sometimes we lose perspective, and I'm worried about being hated for saying this, um, because there are a lot of benefits to the job we have. Yeah. And then I think, right. well, maybe I just don't have the same perspective because I'm not in an R1, and maybe, like, maybe the benefits are only <laughs> this, either this institution or this kind of institution. I, I don't know. I mean, no, I think the benefits are probably realized regardless of institution. Again, I think the primary benefit is we get to do what we find interesting. And that is true in R1. It's true to comprehensive. Um, and I think, you know, the value of that is pretty far reaching. Uh, and I, I do like, yeah, gratitude is, is, is accurate. That, that I feel like a deep sense of, of happiness and gratitude that I get to do what it is that I want to do. Uh, but, but like with that, with great gratitude comes great responsibility. Uh, and so I feel like I need to work hard at this. And I expect like my students to work hard at it too, because we get to do things that we are interested in and that not that many people get to do that. And this might be a difference between you and I, if we take it back to mentoring. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I ever directly convey my expectation that they work hard. I mean, it's implied, of course, just being here. But if a student doesn't meet a deadline, for example, I, for the first several rounds of missing a deadline, my reaction is generally, okay, well, now you're behind. 
you can figure out how to make that better. No, I tell them that they've brought shame upon the lab. <laughs> the house has been uh, The house has been you, you brought shame upon the lab, and you must make sufficient sacrifice to... gold coins. I mean, <laughs> I... I'm <laughs> gold coins. It's going to make uh, a different joke, but I'll refrain. Uh, no, I mean, you have to make like some type of restitution for the shame that you brought upon uh, our house. Yeah. And... And I always scream, and it's like, it's shame upon you. Like, you should feel shame. You should feel shame, but you should also be concerned about the shame that you bring upon the lab. Yeah. And I wonder if that makes a difference. I mean, we're joking, right? But I wonder if that makes a difference because I frame it very much like, I'm not upset with you. I'm not disappointed. It's your responsibility to manage your time. It's your responsibility to manage your timelines. And you will ultimately be the one that suffers the consequences. Mm. And the consequences to me is like, I get another week to not read a draft, so I can do it. Oh, so I mean, so so okay. So this does go to a mentoring question about like to what extent do you see your students' performance reflect as a reflection of you? And so I think like I see my students' performance as directly reflecting me. And so like if they are failing in some way, that conveys to like my, my my colleagues that I have also failed. So like there's a face saving like I want my students to be on top of things because like their performance is a reflection on me. Uh, so like that's just like pure egoism. Uh, but but it means like if my students are missing deadlines that I actually am a, a little bit critical of that barring barring like some type of significant excusing reason. But I am fairly critical of that because their failure to meet a standard reflects like not just on them, but reflects on on me and reflects on the lab. And and that's something that I, I don't really like. Yeah. And I think I don't have that. I have that at the very end. If a project didn't go swimmingly, mm-hmm. um, then I have like a, a short time period where I think poorly about how it reflects on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think I should I should mentor differently next time, and then I never. <laughs> and then you know, I mean, but <laughs> we're back. But this goes like it takes. I, I feel so. This is the part where I feel like a little bit badly for my students. It takes forever for my poor students to like get a draft out of the the lab barn, if you will. Hmm. That like we pass. Like, multiple, multiple drafts between me and the student, or the student and I, uh, or student and me, sorry, uh, before, sorry. yeah, yeah, sorry, grammar errors, uh, before, before I would ever let the committee see it, because, like, that draft, as soon as the committee sees it, reflects right. not just on the student, but it reflects on me as a mentor, and so, like, my students, I, I feel like, suffer a little more than they have but to. But when you say it, how many are we talking? I mean, so far, four? Okay, that's not yeah. actually that many. Yeah, so so yeah. four four master students. No, I mean, how many drafts? Oh, also probably four. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes me feel Yeah, that's, that's pretty quick. Um, well, that maybe then we go back to, like, I'm doing a lot of rewriting. <laughs> <laughs> what I think you meant to say is, well, actually, it's just uh, <laughs> just patriarchal rewriting. That, that That's what happens in my lab. Yeah. I think my students are closer to 10 graphs. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm in that ballpark for sure. And sometimes I'll even do, like, section by section. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Like, it be, like, in, like, first part of the intro, like... Statement of purpose, methods, and we'll pass multiple drafts of each section. That does make me feel that I'm a little less of an asshole. I mean, that, that makes me feel better. You're 
asshole in other ways. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So in that particular domain. <laughs> yeah. But still, still at the core, an asshole. Right. Yeah. Do we have any parting thoughts about mentorship or uh, nurturing our students? I think your your job as a student uh, at its core is to make your mentor happy. I think I think that is our, our core message. <laughs> that is not our core message. So that's obviously a joke. Uh, yeah, I'll say something. Yeah. To, to be clear, that is a, that yeah. is a joke. Yes, I'll say something a little more serious. Yeah. I guess uh, maybe that's a personality difference between you and I, uh, you and me, whatever it would be. Uh, I think. If I had to summarize my mentorship style, it would be like very student driven and also I want to be as supportive as possible. Uh, so if you're a grad student or someone who has a better perspective on how to mentor this, let me know because I want to be the best mentor I can. I don't want to make it seem like I'm a, a taskmaster. No, I, I think that's fair. I mean, so to be serious, um, I think that my, my theory is probably a little bit different that I am maybe more standoffish than than either of you uh, with regard to sort of personal life. And that may be an error. Um, but I think that the goal is always to be my goal is to set as clear expectations as I can about what my what I want you to do, like what performance looks like um, to provide a space for my right. students to fail um, and to get better. Um, but then give that every now and then like a glimpse, like it is okay to feel failure. It is okay to feel, um, inferiority or to feel right. like you're an imposter because everybody feels that way. Uh, and I think that that's an important, I think norm setting is an important part of mentorship to let them know that, like, yep, everybody deals with these feelings. Everybody feels like they are not living up. And um, that's okay that you feel that way too. But um, as researchers, we do have a responsibility. Like if you feel a bit of guilt, like that's okay because we have a really big responsibility to work hard because we get to work in ways that most people don't. We get to work on the things that we care about in a way that most people don't. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big Trekkie, but this is a reference that comes to mind. Would you say that you invoke something like a Kobayashi Maru with your <laughs> advice? <laughs> so do you, do you give them things that they're inherently just going to fail at? <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like meeting my expectations the first time around. It's probably a Kobayashi Maru. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's great. Uh, so if they can reprogram the simulator and, and win that one, then like props to them. Yeah. 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 yeah I bring that up because I, I do think that um, having space to fail is, is important. Um, and it takes away the, the sting from the word fail. Yes. Ultimately. Yeah. yeah. And just to add to that, well, first of all, I didn't understand that reference at all, so I'm in the dark, but I don't care. Oh. Much either. So, uh, do, do, you, do you want to hear the story of Captain Kirk and the Kobayashi Maru? No. Is it Maru or Maroon? I think it's Maru. I thought it was Maru too. I, it, at, at Chris Holton, if it's uh, Maru or Maru. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sorry. Uh, uh, I would add to that, I agree with what you guys said. I would add to that that the constant message that I try and my students can tell me if I succeed or not um, to send to them is that I want them to achieve whatever goal it is, what they're in. Right. So when you get out of this program, what do you want? And my goal is for them to get there, but I expect them to work hard to get there. And so I constantly send a message that it's 
they, they're going to redo everything. <laughs> you will never live up to expectation. Yeah. Basically, yeah. that they will rewrite and rework and re-theorize a lot more. Yeah, I don't. I feel like we didn't talk about expectation setting explicitly uh, today, but but I think that captures it really nicely. That expectation setting is a really big part of, of good mentorship. So you're right. Yeah. And, and I think you uh, would agree with the first lady, the present first lady, that, that you really want your students to be best. Oh. Thank you, Loki. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think we've wrapped up another episode. You're welcome. <laughs> Marginally significant. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Marginally Significant. We'd love to hear if you have comments, questions, or any feedback about today's episode. You can message us on Twitter at MarginallySig. Our email address is MarginallySig at gmail.com. And there's a contact form on our website, which is MarginallySig.com. However you contact us, we'll be sure to reply. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, we'd also love getting reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And finally, uh, you can post about the show on Twitter, Facebook, or any other other social media platform that you use. However you support the show, we really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.